0: Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. And on today's episode, we have a fine classical guitarist. His name is David Temple. David, welcome to The Rick Z Show. Thanks a lot, Rick. It's great to be here. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm very excited having you on the show today. I've heard you play many times, and your music is wonderful, so I couldn't wait to get you on. I have a question for you, though. I guess I'm a rock musician or a pop musician. I don't know know what I am exactly. But one thing I know is it's not easy for a rock musician to find work in this area. It's always been a bit of a challenge, I think, nowadays even more than usual. What about for a classical guitarist? Is it a lucrative place to live? I mean, it's a very different music than what I play. Is it easy to find work, or is it hard to find work?
1: Well, I wouldn't call it easy to find work. The nice thing about it is because it's so specialized, I'm proud of the work that I end up getting. Um, I do concerts anywhere from here into, uh, uh, you know, Western Mass in Connecticut, you know, all the way down to counties closer to the city, and a lot of things in the Catskill. The Mohawk Mountain House, for instance, will have a, a series of concerts that will feature classical musicians that might typically have a, a string quartet. Well, I'm just one guy, you know, and it's kind of nice because I can show up and, and sort of fill that type of bill. So because it's specialized and it, it's unique in that way, and there isn't, you know, a glut of guys doing what I do, I'd say I might be in a little bit better situation than than a pop or rock
0: player. You know, you're a classical player. You're obviously classically trained. How did you get so good? Did you have a great classical teacher? Did you learn as a kid? How'd this all get started?
1: Well, thanks a lot for the compliment. I always thought of myself, not as a prodigy, I definitely wasn't one as a kid, but I was dumb enough just to keep, you know, plugging at it. You know, nobody told me to stop doing it. And I I think what I did have, the assets that I had, was that I had a certain flair. I knew that music should really grab you, you know, the way it grabbed me, you know, it's sort of become a bit of an evangelist where you're like if i love this music so much everybody else should so you really have to work hard in order to do all those little funky little moves with your fingers that really don't want to do it you know you certainly weren't born you know playing brazilian rhythms when you were born in you know suburban midwest you know so you have to really plug at it so i would you know i think i was just dumb enough to keep on on trying hard enough and i kept on getting performance opportunities and I'm a real advocate in you learn to get better by performing. I don't think a piece really exists for you until you share it with somebody else, and then you feel, you know, it's, it, then it's alive, and then you're connecting with others. And so that, it's that feeling of connecting with others that really inspires you to, to really work harder for the next one, you
0: know. And dumbness, as you're saying. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I would kill for that kind of dumbness. Yeah,
1: dumbnessitude. I actually call <laughs>
0: I've got that in aces. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, I'm very excited because I noticed you brought your guitar with you today, and just our luck. I would love to give our listeners a taste of that classical training that you have. Would you mind playing something for us? I would love to. Thanks a lot.
1: This is one of my favorite pieces by one of my favorite composers. It's uh, João Pernambuco of uh, uh, Brazil, and this is his little Sounds of Bells. (laughs)
0: That was just wonderful, David. What a great player you are. It's a real privilege to hear live music. One of the things about this show that I love is getting great musicians on here, sitting right in the studio while we're taping, sitting next to them and hearing them play this great music, and you're certainly no exception to that rule. You're from Red Hook, right? You live in Red Hook?
1: That's right. Right across from Bard College, and I teach there for the uh, for the Bard Prep Program So the
0: pre-college kids. Red Hook, for those who don't know, right next to the town we're sitting in now, Rhinebeck. I grew up in Red Hook myself, and it's a nice little town. Let me ask you something, David. A rock musician or a pop musician or whatever... They have a lot of idols, you know guy McCartney or you know Billy Joel or Bob Dylan, people that they more than just look up to and admire. they kind of idolize it. Do you find that in classical music a lot? Are there guys that you idolize where you 're just fascinated like wow that 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 guy just blows my mind definitely. I think
1: there's certain like sounds um, that suddenly really grab you. I mean in general, I know when I was a kid, whenever I heard yeah before I knew what classical guitar was, whenever I heard finger picking of any sort I really was like oh my ears would just open up you know it's definitely there was something about it that uh moved me so you know guys like uh, James Taylor and um you know some of the the acoustic Stuff in Beatles. Some of my favorites. Absolutely. And then, um, and I I still love that to this day. I mean, a lot of my playing just for fun is uh, still in that zone. But then once I, uh, there was some, the classical guitar sort of pulled me in. The sound of the nylon strings really had me. That was like, you know, it just fit perfectly. So there were certain uh, performers that I loved a lot. Uh, There was uh, Christopher Parkening was a generation just after the you know the monumental uh, Andre Segovia who kind of changed the nature of the instrument in that he really brought it out as a concert instrument in in the way that you know violin and and piano had enjoyed for centuries so suddenly now guitar could be on a main stage and that that was huge and then there was this generation that came after him that were maybe big in the uh, 70s um uh, uh, pushing into the 80s And, um, parkening had a certain, like, lush, beautiful, romantic sound. Um, and a certain way of playing just anything that was really expressive, like it really got you, like you you, you, you just couldn't stop listening, yeah. that kind of thing. And then I have other uh, names that really have hit me uh, since then, but that's a perfect example how there's, there's a kind of sound, a kind of not just virtuosity, but a, a way of expressing yourself that really kind of like you, you don't want to stop listening.
0: Well, you kind of answered one of my other questions I was wondering about is, in jazz, for example... A true jazz aficionado or jazz guy is only going to listen to jazz. A real classical trained ear a lot of times will only listen to classical music. You like a lot of pop music, too. You mentioned James Taylor. Is that common for classical players, or are you ahead of the curve?
1: I'm not really sure. I think, I think the nature of the game with a guitar, because it's also such a big popular instrument... And, you know, even though the classical guitar is essentially a different instrument in that the construction of it and the uh, the strings, etc., and the repertoire is different, nonetheless, it's six strings with, you know, 18 plus, uh, 19 plus frets. It's not from a different planet than the electric guitar or the steel string acoustic. And most classical guitarists I know are also fans of other styles of playing. So it's kind of fun to to mix the two here and there. I just have to, when I program a classical concert, though, I like things that maybe push the envelope a little bit, but I have to be careful. If I start playing something bossa nova, it better be something that maybe people aren't as familiar with. Because if I play Girl from Ipanema, it starts sounding like a lounge act. You know, I have to play something else by like Jobim or Bonfa that maybe are less familiar. So I can play that style, but it will work in a classical format.
0: Do you feel you have to turn off the classical button to achieve some other forms of music? I mean, can you play country? Can you play blues? Or is your training kind of keeping you from, from fully relaxing into another style?
1: Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I think
0: there are different aesthetics.
1: You think I could show you a few musical examples that might show
0: that. You know, you've made a lot of recordings as well. You have a few albums out. I would love to to hear something off of one of them. Can we hear something? You bet. Is typically stunning and wow I mean that that just that kind of guitar playing just blows my mind and that that's a, a tremolo effect that you're using with your thumb right T- tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah it's an interesting uh, technique that was really perfected by the flamenco players of Spain uh, where you're kind of playing the downbeat, or sort of like an arpeggio, more or less like the left hand of a piano player uh, accompanying a melody, and then the uh, fingers sort of brush by the a single string very swiftly. And if you can get it to be smooth enough, it almost sounds just consistent and fluid. And so the the effect is sort of like a mandolin is playing the the melody. And then another instrument is playing the bass line and um, the middle voices. So it's a very effective technique. And um, so I play play about a half a dozen pieces using that tremolo. You don't want to overuse it in a show. It becomes starts sounding a little bit uh, trite. But I really, really enjoy being able to play that where you're able to kind of, you know, a violinist can kind of play a note and then make it louder while he's moving his bow in one direction. Whereas guitar, you pluck the string and and then it dies away. But with the tremolo, it gives you that sense of being able to sort of swell a sound up and down, even though it's, it's an illusion. You're just hitting the string repeatedly over and over.
0: Expertly applied technique, for sure. Like everything you do, David, you give lessons as well. Tell me a little bit about that. How many lessons do you give a week?
1: I teach quite a bit. Um, At any given time, I have maybe a dozen private students and then another handful of students through the uh, BARD program. Various uh, ability levels and styles. I have uh, one that graduated last year, ended up at Ithaca College, and she's uh, she's a, a classical guitar major, so I'm really thrilled about that. And I have some other strong players coming up. But then I have people coming you know, in the age of retirement and uh, uh, have a great guitar and really want to learn how to do some finger picking, you know, like James Taylor, like we talked about.
0: Are you expensive?
1: I'm I'm fairly reasonable, Rick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, when I was a kid, uh, lessons were maybe 5 bucks or something like that, and those kind of lessons are maybe 30 bucks or something today, but a classically trained musician is like it's like being a doctor who's a specialist. You can get 50, 60 bucks an hour is not uncommon, and that's not even that's not very expensive. What you do is very specialized. I can't afford you, but, <laughs> but it's specialized. it's not a lot of money. People don't understand that always. Uh, I mean, the, the musicians do and, and people that give lessons understand that. I'd love to hear why that may be and why that kind of training is expensive to learn. It's not like any other playing, and that being said, I want to hear something else. I'm just dying to hear something else. We play a little something else for us. You bet. <laughs>
1: This is uh, Arroyos de la Alhambra. It's uh, the rivers around the, the palace at Alhambra. It's a great piece by Angel Barrios.
0: You. Whatever you charge, David, I would pay it. <laughs> I would
1: pay the money. You know, my fees just went up. Rick.
0: <laughs> that's fine with me. That's fine with me. You know, it must be great to wake up in the morning, get out of bed, grab the guitar, and just sit down and be able to play something like that. I mean, that—that's what we all want as guitar players to just that ease of playing. Great, and you certainly have that. What is the Rodrigo Concerto? I'm glad you asked that.
1: It's a three movement work. The middle movement is the most famous. It's uh, it's the one that even you know Miles Davis played around with, and Chick Corea used as an intro for his piece, you know, Spain. You know, bum bum da 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 bump, bump uh, so it's, it gets quoted the most, probably, than more than any other piece in the classical guitar repertoire. But the first movement and the third movement are brilliant. They're very much uh, sort of Andalusian kind of flamenco st- in style and in form. It, they're just great pieces. Uh, it was written by uh, uh, Joaquin uh, Rodrigo in the middle of the 20th century. And honestly, today, I don't know what the statistics but i think it's still about 75 percent of all the guitar concerto work in the world you know it's like it's it's so number one um and he wrote other concertos that are wonderful too and there's other great composers that have written brilliant concertos but this this one has that you know familiarity to it you know it's sort of the beethoven's fifth of, of classical guitar concertos
0: and you played this concerto yourself recently didn't you
1: Yes, with the Northern Duchess uh, Symphony Orchestra, um, we played it in Rhine back in June, and it was really exciting and uh, some marvelous organization, and it was a thrill to do it.
0: Do you compose your own music at all, David?
1: I do. It's uh, one of the hats I wear is uh, is composing music. Um, and creating scores and I actually wrote music for a a, a full blown musical uh, which my wife edited and produced and and directed a number of years ago and so we're hoping to have some some legs on that but I've also written uh, instrumental pieces for guitar and uh, I do a lot of arranging and uh, but I love composing um I love being around young people because you know y- y- you you don't have to give them a lot of guidelines. They love to just create music on whatever instrument they have. So so that's definitely a big part of my musical, musical life.
0: Yeah, I love that young musician energy is really great. And they're just sponges and they got fresh ideas. I love that too. Speaking of composers, do you feel there are certain composers that translate better to a classical guitar rather than piano? Because, for example, I always thought that like, Frederick Chopin was great piano music, or Rachmaninoff, or Rubinstein. Rubinstein wasn't really a composer, but he was a great classical pianist, and there's just some music that sounds great on piano. Bach, for example, seems like a string guy. You know, when I hear Bach on violin, or on harpsichord, or classical guitar, it seems to translate better than piano, but that that's my untrained classical ear. What's your opinion?
1: Oh, definitely. I, th- I think the connection with an instrument to a composer is is a definite thing. Ironically, you know, a lot of the, the standards for um, the classical guitarists were actually written on instruments other than the guitar. But I think those composers probably had the instrument in their ears, you know, like Spaniards like El uh, writing, you know, the great Leyenda, other pieces that are just part of the, the canon of uh, classical guitar— Wrote the, those pieces on piano, you know, he, reams of, of just great music for piano, but a lot of it has been transcribed over. And I agree, Bach, Bach on strings is is absolutely brilliant. The keyboard at the time of Bach was more like the harpsichord, and there were other instruments that have kind of faded away. Um, So to to play it on the modern piano is cool, but that, that instrument actually wasn't the the instrument uh, that would, would have been in the ears of, of people at the time, too. So it doesn't surprise me that you you feel like that's a mismatch.
0: Would you be willing to play one of your own compositions for us?
1: Absolutely, yes. I would love to hear one. This is an original work called Windermere Park.
0: just great. A very complicated piece by, I mean, probably not for you, but to my ear, it was so sophisticated, yet you pulled it off so smoothly. Uh, It's just fascinating when somebody can play like that. I mean, you make it look really easy. Where can people hear your music? Do you have a website or something like that where people can go and listen?
1: I do. It's uh, davidtemple.com and uh, I have some uh, um, music videos on there. I also have uh, links to uh, purchase uh, CDs or, or downloads, and also I keep announcements there where I'm playing uh, at any given moment, and uh, I have some things coming up this fall, and uh, and so really hope people can come out and hear me live.
0: Oh, and they should. I want people to go running right out and see you wherever they can. I'll come out and see you as well. Where do you play? Give me some examples of places that you're playing coming up. We might put this podcast up a little late for some of these gigs, but just to give us an idea of the type of places that you play,
1: where are you going to be? Venues that I've been uh, sort of frequenting are... um Unison Arts in uh, New Paltz, the Mohawk Mountain House, uh, which is a great destination. It'd be neat if you could come out and see a show, and then uh, um, you could have dinner or something. It's a bit pricey to stay over there, but they make it easy for you to come in and see the show. I always do an afternoon show there. I'm always at the uh, Performing Arts Center here in Rhinebeck. I do a summer show and a a, uh, December show every year. And so um, that, that definitely that feels like my home court, and we always have a, a, a great turnout, and it's a super place. There's various local organizations that uh, sponsor me, uh, uh, local uh uh, Chamber Music Societies, and even the Folk Guild, I'm going to do something with those guys as well.
0: What about Porch Fest?
1: Oh, Porch Fest is awesome. I have played for that. I'm not signed up for it this year, um, but I'll definitely be down checking everybody out. But maybe we'll look into that for 2020.
0: You play in a lot of
1: churches? I do. I actually have um, something early October in at the uh, church in um, Tivoli. Uh, they do a Friday evening service there. I believe it's October 3rd, or 4th whatever the first Friday of October is and um, they are featuring the Taze service where you essentially sing in a meditative way various music I'll be playing great classical pieces before the service and uh, um, be participating in the service overall and I think it'd be a really it's sort of a very open arms kind of thing it's you know Uh, definitely denominational, but uh, still, I think that would be a nice musical experience for people.
0: What a thrill it's been to sit here and listen to you play today, David, and a pleasure talking to you about your career. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Really my great pleasure, Rick. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm really grateful. Thank you.
0: Come back and see us anytime, and could you take us out with a little piece? You bet. This is
1: Stanley Myers Cavatina. (laughs)
0: <laughs> little, little, little bobble there thanks so much rick run do not walk to see david temple live i promise you you will not regret it and you've been listening to the rick z show i'm your host rick z every week produced and engineered by rusty johnson why don't you come back next week and listen in we'll catch you then